I'm Rob. I'm E. Julian. Welcome to the next movement. Julian, thanks uh, so much for joining us. Um, we have a lot to talk about. We, we have, uh, I feel like, a lot of ground to cover. You have a, a long and uh, sort of legendary career, I think, in our eyes. Uh, worked on a lot of well-known projects, a lot of big, uh, big projects, um, not just in music. Um, in fact, we, we want to start our time tonight talking about some things that maybe aren't directly connected to the work you've done in music. So let's uh, sort of go back towards the beginning. Uh, we know from from things we've read or, or heard from you that uh, you may have been heavily influenced by graffiti uh, in New York City as a kid. So I, I think the question is, in addition to how, how this may have inspired you in, in drawing in letter forms, I'm wondering if exposure to graffiti also introduced you to to other elements of hip hop. Yeah. So well, for starters, I didn't I didn't grow up in New York. I grew up close to New York. I grew up in Connecticut, um, in Bloomfield, Connecticut, in, in Hartford, like their neighboring city town uh, situation. But it was close enough to the city where, you know, my mother used to live in New York at a point, and as a kid, I would come here often, and I was just like hypnotized by graffiti. I would see. We weren't taking the subway because she had a car, you know what I mean? But just driving through the city is what just caught my attention, and um, you know, movies like beach street and you know wild style which i saw later you know what i mean i didn't see it when it first came out but beach street i saw like immediately mm-hmm. um when it came out it, it was just something that captivated me and wanted me to be in new york you know what i mean i wanted to come here and paint trains you know what i mean so as a kid <laughs> and it, it had a huge influence on me and it, it you know i would spend a lot of time in my room drawing graffiti like it's, it's just what i did like drew ladder forms and and trying to make things that trying to abstract what was familiar to me you know what i mean like the le- the alphabet that was presented to me was cool but everybody n- knew that and i would spend time trying to like read things that just became shapes and forms and, and were very different so i was committed to that very early on and that that became like a seed that has been present throughout my life making art i've heard artists and designers say that they have this ability to see things differently so they they have this unique lens and it allows them to create in the way that they create i'm wondering if you feel the same way about that and if so when did you realize that you had this gift i just realized that you know what i mean like this is something that is it's just normal to me like I, it feels like in my mind, everybody sees stuff this way. And I'm, I'm starting to realize that not everyone kind of processes the inf- things in the same way that I do, because I get inspired by like walking down the street and seeing some old sign on a store. And I'm like, everybody sees that, but they don't see it the way that I do. Mm-hmm. Not better or worse, just different. So we all have our own perspective, what stimulates us and kind of what motivates us and and ultimately what our influences are and what we draw on. So I think that I'm more so now recognizing that it's different. Like I, I'm walking mm. down the street, like, you know, I walk down the street and I'm with four people 
for whatever it is. And they're like, let's, they're just trying to get from point A to B. And I'm like, stopping, like, I need to take a picture of this sign that they don't care about at all. You know what I mean? So, um, so I've, I've become more aware of it more recently, but I think that I've always been, I've always been attracted to things, visual things. They just hold my attention in a way that has allowed me to just kind of study details. That different perspective, has that ever hindered you in the progress you've made on a particular project when you're working with somebody else that maybe doesn't share that same vision or see things in the same way that you do? Yeah, absolutely. Particularly, you know, there's, you know, in, in my personal work, I get to prioritize where the energy and effort goes. When you're working with a client, it's a compromise. It's what you both can agree on in the best case scenario. Sometimes it's just like, they're like, look, I want this thing, you know what I mean? And, and, you know, having the ability to work for myself is good because if I feel that way from the beginning, I don't have to take the project. But there's many times where um, the details or what I think makes something special or unique is just not really a priority to the, the person I'm collaborating or partnering with or working with, whatever word you want to use to describe it. So mm. that has been something that has taught me how to, speak about my work better so I can advocate for what I think is important. And, you know, you win some, you lose some, but I always, always fight for what I believe, you know, I always try and put forward what's important to me and what I think is going to make, uh, produce what I think is going to be most effective in communicating what we're trying to say. We definitely want to, um, get to talking about some of the design you've done in music. I mean, that's we're a music podcast, but while we have you here, also want to talk about the supremacy project. Could you tell us a little bit about that and how you became involved in it? Yeah, so I didn't become involved in it as much as I started it. So the catalyst for that project is not, unfortunately, it's not something unique. It's, a, you know, it, that project launched the first installation we did. The first physical installation was June 20th of 2020. And, you know, the way that that came together was in the wake of George Floyd's murder, I lived near the Barclays Center, which was really a place where there was a lot of activity, a lot of protests kind of either started or ended there. It was a place where, you know, I was turning on the news at night and I would see things in national or international news that were happening right outside of my door. And I wasn't compelled to go out there and protest in the same way that I saw many other people doing. And although I, had no issue with what they were doing. It just wasn't my response. But I felt I needed to have some sort of response to what was going on in the moment that we're in. And ultimately, rather than speak to a singular issue, I wanted to speak to something that was really broad in terms of, you know, supremacy is something that it's a word that you hear a lot, but it just gets ab it gets abstracted. Like there's there's not you know, there's no place to look. It's, it's, it's kind of a phantom. You know what I mean? Like we all know the word, but what does it look like? Yeah. So, you know, my experience in creating brands and, and understanding and using brand language, I wanted to use familiar symbols that would catch people's attention and visually represent supremacy and treat it like a brand. So I used familiar branding and imagery that spoke to um, a broader representation. The first piece was uh, police officers in riot gear in Times Square when they had the, you know, 
curfew going on at the time of that work. It was a very current image, but I love the fact that because there's a riot, there's riot gear and a, and a shield over this policeman's face. It's not about him as an individual. It's about what it represents. It's about how, you know, the irony, the paradox of police killed an unarmed civilian. People are upset about it, rightfully so, and they protest and speak up, and then police escalate to the point where they're militarizing themselves against the same citizens when they did something wrong. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to just kind of show what that felt like in, in, in a way that's very unapologetic and direct. Like, you know, so if I'm wrong, it's on you to explain what's wrong with this. That's not a doctored image. Like that's a very real symbol. So the beauty of it is that was a collaborative piece. There was myself who did the, the logo for supremacy, which, um, and again, as a designer, it's taking something that is familiar brand language that was created by, Barbara Kruger and adopted by Supreme. So now I took it and repackaged it by mixing that typography with the letters from CVS, which now includes the word pharmacy in their logo. I merged those things together um, just because I liked what it did with brand language and how it came together visually. But the image came from a photographer named Stephen Irby, who goes by Steve, Steve Sweatpants. He was, you know, he was kind enough to, you know, I have a great response to his work and we had a little bit of a relationship at the time. We have a great relationship now through the work that we've done, but um, I was able to reach out to him and he gave me access to some images to do whatever I wanted to do with. And that was kind of where we landed. And another friend of mine, her name is Khadija Osini, and she was able to secure a place for us to put that work up because I was just going to go, like, you know, four in the morning and wheat paste it somewhere. But we got a place that was like, no, like you can have this space and we'll support it, which allowed us to create a different experience. So we could do it in the middle of the day and invite people out to participate and document the work. And then it kind of took on a life of its own because people then would come and photograph themselves in front of it and Mm -hmm. share it or perform, perform pieces of art in front of it. And it became a backdrop for other people's art. And over time, then people who were opposed to our point of view would go to face the work, which just made it more interesting because I'm like, leave it, you know, leave it that way. I wasn't interested in cleaning up. I was interested in showing, you know, the point of view and being able to show the opposition to that point of view, particularly being here in New York City where people feel like, you know, just people feel like New York is very progressive in one way and it's not. and, and that work has evolved into many different forms over time. I was going to ask if you received any pushback or just negative responses from the work just because it was displayed publicly. Do you know of anybody sort of advocating for the work to be taken down? Not that formally. There's people who go and paint over it. You know, mm-hmm. like we put up a picture of Mount Rushmore. Somebody painted out the word supremacy. So it just has a picture of Mount Rushmore Mm. or, you know, there's, there's things like that, which, you know, we have surveillance cameras up there. So I took that stuff and put it on the camera and showed who did it. You know Mm. what I mean? Like we went in the daytime and put it up. You came at night thinking you can be anonymous with it, but here you go. So um, I haven't personally had any, you know, there's, I know people are opposed to the work because, you know, there, there's a person who right before the guy painted out the supremacy, painted out the word supremacy, that same guy had came and 
he made a sign that said, God bless America and put it up on top of the word supremacy. Mm. And um, maybe the day, so we put that piece up on a Saturday, I think. And on Sunday night, a day or two later, whatever day we put it up, um, I got a text at like eight in the morning. A friend of mine who lives in the neighborhood sent me a picture and it was like somebody had taken brown paint and smeared it all over the piece, right? So they put it over um, two, of the, two of the presidents that are on Mount Rushmore and then they put it over the word supremacy. So I'm looking at the video footage and I'm expecting it to be like a certain guy. Like I had a picture in my head of who did this. And it's like a 110 pound lady mm. who did this. And it's funny because it's brown paint. Like she wasn't walking down the street and happened to have brown paint. She saw this work. was like, I'm going to do something to it. Went and bought brown paint and came back and did it. So again, like it just, to me, um, what I focused on is like this work is really connecting and it's getting people in their feelings, which speaks to the power of it. So all of that is to say like, you know, that is as formal as the opposition has been. Like the, mm -hmm. the things that have happened have not been spontaneous. They're very deliberate. It's not like, you know, the guy who painted out the word supremacy, he came with a paint roller and like all of this stuff. Like he literally was like, he saw it and he was like, this is what I'm going to do. And he made a plan and came back and did it. So um, that's the level of opposition that we've had. But again, like I choose to leave it that way because I think that that, that is more interesting and it's kind of a living dialogue about the work and it confirms how how effective it is yeah yeah disappointing but not surprising yeah right well it's it's a really powerful project and i especially appreciate the branding uh i mean hearing you talk about the, the concept the branding aspect of it because for myself the first time i haven't seen it in person but the first time i saw images of it i was like well what is this like are brands actually involved in this or is it something else so yeah, it, it's uh, it's really powerful. I'm glad that you were able to do it. Thank you. And I'll say one one last thing about it. Like you know, I, I often speak to young people. So I I speak in high schools and and young creatives. And like it's not uncommon to speak to a fourteen or fifteen year old, and they're like, yeah, my brand is this. You know what I mean? Like what? You know what I mean? So it catches my attention. So I'm just like you know, I just wanted to tap into something that would just immediately catch the attention and engage them and it's that language is not limited to people who work in our field as creatives it's very broad it's a part of the lexicon it's what people speak about even if they fully understand what that means or not so yeah. um it was important to me to be able to just kind of tap into that from the beginning so yeah quite effective i'd like to take us back to music for a little bit you know, and ask, just sort of, again, go back to the beginning and ask a question, because it sounds like um, just in hearing you talk about, you know, growing up, you know, particularly growing up with music, what you would do when you were younger is you would sort of go through your family's vinyl collection and look at covers. And this seems yeah. to have been a big influence on your, you know, passion for design and your decision to go into design. It made me wonder because I, I, I'm a very visual person. And sometimes for me, that ties into how I hear something. And I wanted to know if the same was true for you. This visual aspect of a body of work, whether that be an album cover or even a music video um, or something to that effect, influence the way you hear a piece of music. Absolutely. It, it does, you know, so as a kid, when I would look through vinyl in, at home, I could look at the records, I couldn't touch the record player. You know what I mean? So it was like, <laughs> I would just look at these things and be like, which one of these would I want to hear? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, which one am I going to ask somebody to put on? So 
Um, so the covers were everything. That, that's where I would determine like this. I'm interested in this one. <laughs> you know what I mean, so and and as I got older, you know, it's different now. But there's a point where, you know, I would go to the rec- every Tuesday. That's the day that albums used to come out. Every Tuesday, I went to the record store like religiously, and I would buy something. Sometimes there was some, not something coming out that I wanted to see, and I would just pick something based off of the cover. Like this looks interesting. Sometimes that was great. Sometimes it was horrible. You know what I mean? But, but I did that. You know what I mean? Because to me, that just seems to make sense. And it's it's what I strive to do in my work. I want things to look like what they sound like, or look like what they represent. When I look at things, I have that type of emotional response to it. So I try and create it, and I I hope to a degree, I expect that. I feel like that's kind of the the job of the people involved who are doing things is to, is to communicate that feeling. I've often times. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. sorry. I'm glad that's your experience too. Yeah. I, what I was going to say is I've often times have heard something and maybe not necessarily liked it or just didn't speak to me. And then I might have seen a music video or seen just like some visual aspect of the music and have changed my mind yeah. because I'm like, Oh, okay. Hmm. Like, let me listen again. So it completely sort of has altered the way I hear something. Listen, it's no different. Like, if it can stimulate your senses in different ways, you know what I mean? Like, music is an art form. All you need is your ears for music. But if you can tap into other things that kind of help paint a broader picture, it only adds to it. When my mother makes a sandwich, it's better than when I make it. You know what I mean? Like, it's just... (laughs) It's the same stuff. It's just, I don't know what it is, but it, that's how same. it works. You know what I mean? yep. So it's just like when you make, everything counts. You know what I mean? So I, I, that is not, that makes complete sense to me. That's completely logical mm-hmm. that there are other things that can help a story. Um, I don't experience everything that way. Like for instance, I have a million design books. I read books all the time. I don't read my design books at all. Mm-hmm. I don't read a single word in most of them because I just want to look at it. And I don't want... You know, I don't want the explanation to make me like something that I'm not attracted to Hmm. in the first place. You know what I mean? So it's like, if you got to explain it for me to like it, then I really don't like it. You know what I mean? So, but, but again, there's certain things where if you're sitting down and kind of participating and taking an active role, more information can help form your opinion or change your mind about something. So when you were sort of routinely working on album covers, uh, packaging design in music, you know, and other aspects of the rollout live performance. Um, it, you spent time at Atlantic and Sony, and we'll talk about Shady Aftermath uh, in a bit. But can you give us a sense of what the process was like uh, when you were working uh, at, at these labels? Like, how would a, a project start? I, I imagine it was different from time to time, but in general, what was that process like? Yeah, well, so the first label that I was ever at was Def Jam as an intern. So I was at the drawing board and that that really kind of set the tone because this is, you know, in my like the space Def Jam occupies to me is giant. But it's really at that time, it's an independent label. Or at that time it was, but it's like, you know, all of a sudden I walk into a place and it's a different experience because Redman is there all the time. You know what I mean? One time I went in there and like, I'm in the elevator with Jam Master J and I'm like, shy, I'm not saying that. It's just me and him <laughs> in the elevator. 
And he's like, how you doing? I'm Jason. And I'm like, I know who you are. Like, in my head, I'm like, what you like, everybody in the world knows who you are. You know what I mean? But he's just sitting there like the most humble and kind person who's standing three feet away from this nervous kid and just introduces himself as Jason. Like, forget Run DMC. You know what I mean? So being able to just kind of see the humanity of things and being able to have the artist close, whether whoever it might be, and your heroes kind of just made me hungry for that. And it was very different than working at, you know, the next label that I was at was Atlantic Records, where I also entered as an intern, but I ended up working there as a designer. But you don't really see the artist, you know what I mean, in that way. It's, you know, the building is many floors and artists are in different areas. So it, it, it showed me a little bit of a separation and more of like, it was more of a job than whereas Def Jam, even though I was the intern and only the people who I really worked with knew me, it felt very familial. You know what I mean? So it's been interesting to kind of navigate that and learn the processes. And I think there was always a point early on, I knew that I wanted to work for myself. So in many ways, I looked at my working experience as opportunities to learn the business so I can learn how to function or what to expect or how to anticipate things when I worked independently on my own. So it was always, that was school for me, all of the different places I was and just kind of absorbing their processes. But as I, I elevated in my role, it became, you know, as I became an art director and a senior art director and a design director, then you have more interaction back with the artist because you're not just the person in the store, you know, on the floor who's doing this thing. You have to talk to the artist. You're working with them on a photo shoot. You're figuring out what photographers you're presenting to them. So it got to a point where it started to feel, it reintroduced the aspects that I was most excited about. And, and that is one of the things that I like most about music because, you know, while, you know, when we're, there was a point in the conversation where I was talking about understanding branding, but in music, the artist is the brand. You know what I mean? It's an actual person. You can talk to them. They have an opinion. You can hear stuff. Whereas sometimes when you're dealing with products, there's nobody to check in with. It's, it's like, it's an opinion of people who are forming stuff and they think it should be this way, or they're kind of determining what they want the outcome to be. And there's, it's, it's less emotional to me than being able to read a person. You know what I mean? In those situations, you're more, it's, it's a lot more abstract. And I prefer to be like, you know, I get so much information. If you ask somebody to tell you like, what's on your mind? What does this song represent? What is, what's your vision? They'll tell you something. And oftentimes the thing that they find most important is very different from what I find most important. It's the very little thing. It's like the thing that they think was nothing is the thing where I'm like, that's it. Like, I got it. I know mm. what we're going to do. Mm. You know what I mean? So, um, so there is, you know, long-winded way of saying there is some commonality between all of those experiences, but the environments have been different and I've learned a lot in each of them. And, and you mentioned like Shady. In that situation, I never worked there. All of that stuff was under the banner of slang. G-Unit as well. Like those were things where um, I took the skill sets that I acquired in those labels that I had been at, been able to kind of apply that stuff to how I produced the work. But, um, but a lot of that just came down to um, being able to talk to the artist and being comfortable and being able to 
understand what they were saying, regardless what words they were using. Sometimes people would just kind of, you know, there's a story I've told some somebody before where I was working on, I was working on a on bulletproof wallets for Ghostface, and I had inherited that project from someone else. They did the uh, John Carr was the art director who did the photo shoot, and for whatever reason, now I was on the project when it was time to do design. And you know, one day he comes to my office, and we're talking, and he's looking at some typography that I laid out. And there's like this metal treatment on it. And his inspiration was like the built Ford Tough <laughs> logo, right? And it had this metal background. He he does this, like, so, because there was another situation that I'm aware of where he had a very specific reference. So he's in my office and I showed him something and it wasn't quite what he wanted. And he's looking at it and he's like, make it like, 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 boom. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was literally what he said to me. And I was like, all right, I got it. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, you know, but being able to read and interpret that, there's there's more context, you know what I mean? But right. but again, like that that is the sort of thing that has allowed me, I think, to produce the work that I produce, is being able to just kind of talk to people. Yeah. I'm glad you told that story because I was going to ask you to tell it anyway. <laughs> is there a part of that story that has to, something to do with him in a robe? Oh, yes. So this was the point where he was wearing a robe. <laughs> everywhere you know what I mean? so he also was wearing the gold eagle that big bracelet with the 3d eagle on it and he would come up to the office and there would be a, he would be wearing a robe and there's a dude walking behind him with a silver briefcase like your pulp picture with the eagle in it what? You know what I mean? like in case he i don't know in case he needed to put it on i don't know what was wow. happening, but it was hilarious but like that's ghosting yeah. so what happened was when he was coming to my office I didn't, I didn't know he was coming to my office. He was in the building and I was getting ready to go to lunch and I'm standing at the elevator and the elevator door opens and this ghost face in a robe, baby blue, Terry cloth robe and ghost, ghost face is a big dude. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. he's like a big man. You know what I mean? So, and I'm standing at the door and he's standing at the door. Like it just opens up and I'm like face to face with ghost face. <laughs> and I'm like, what's up? You know what I mean? And I haven't met him yet. And he was like, yo, I'm looking for such and such. Like, I'm like, that's me coming to my office. But again, like, so we just random, you know, if another elevator would have came before, I, I don't know what would have happened. I probably would have never had that interaction with him. But yes, I bumped into him wearing his robe and full ghost face regalia. Mm. The dude with the, uh, with the briefcase was not with him at that <laughs> moment, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Hey yo, my rose be Liberace, and my bedroom is off the hook all day. Design by Versace, y'all just watch me. This is how I blow up. Right when y'all finna leave the joint, then I show up. Star spangled up, and my chain got cut. Mr. T looks on my shit and went nuts. Stark stays the luck truck. There's a new gangster in town, and he's coming up. Staten Island's capo holds the most info. Crown royal bottles in the back, blowing endo. Fly shit like Curtis Mayfield in his intro. Throw this in your whip, convention tense blow. Yo, I kick the ill lines like this. Y'all niggas never really roll rhymes like this. Come on, stop fronting at a time like this. Pretty tone in the house, you better hide your bitch. This sounds like a good segue to talk about other album covers that you've done. I know Rob and I have a select few that we really want to, you know, sort of hear backstories on. But I, I did have one question about sort of process when it comes to album cover designs. What What's the relationship between you and the photographer? You know, how do you all collaborate when you are trying to determine the artistic direction of a project? Do you collaborate for that? 
Yeah, absolutely. We have to. Listen, I can't take the pictures. You know, it's like, you know, <laughs> I mean, I can take to them, but not to the level of the people that I'm collaborating with. We're working with them because they bring something special to it. And I think that's the beauty of collaboration. Like, I'm not collaborating with you to do something I can do myself and I just don't want to. I'm collaborating because you, br- we are collaborating because you bring something special to this. And while I have a vision, I also want you to interpret, I want you to bring whatever it was that attracted me to your work in the first place. Like what makes you, you, I need you to bring that here, but I also want to try and set some parameters on what we want to accomplish. I don't want you to show up and feel like, yeah, I know you like that thing, but I'm going to do this other thing. That's not going to work. I mean, however, I have learned to find ways to align thoughts to work with people to just be like, look, this is what I envision. Because sometimes you're like, yeah, this is what we're going to do. And the person you're talking to, they're like, yeah, that's what we're going to do. But they see a totally different picture in their head. So for me, I try and make sure we're on the same page before we step on set so that we're, we, we're just closer and more aligned at the onset so that when we get out on the other side, the results are more so what we're expecting. And that is something that I've learned to do. In the beginning, it would just be like, yeah, we talk. And I show up on set and take some pictures and do, you know, it would work out okay. But I've learned how to, you know, just the pre-production of a job, everything that goes in and the level of conversation that happens now is much more intentional than it was in the beginning. I wasn't building briefs. Those are things that I learned and picked up from people along the way. And, and it's only helped to be more consistent in the end result. Okay, so some of the specific projects that you've worked on that we want to ask about. Let's start with um, Wrath of the Math. I think I've read somewhere that this was one of the first projects that you worked on, like from from beginning to completion. Is that is that right? Yeah, yeah it is. I was a photo assistant on the photo shoot, and then I designed the album. Wow. <laughs> Can you just tell us, what do you remember about that process and, and working on that project? Man, I remember everything about it. Um, so I had recently met Danny Hastings, um, who's the photographer on that, and he's a legend in his work. Mm-hmm. And he, I had met him. We did that album package months after I met him. Within the same week, probably three days after I met him, we worked on a magazine cover for Stress Magazine. It's the first magazine cover that Jay-Z is on, and that magazine cover became posters that they used to promote reasonable doubt. Mm-hmm. So Danny and I had, like, we built a good relationship. He took me under his wing and gave me a lot of room to create. And um, I actually feel like Wrath of the Math is the third project I did with him, third album project. First one was this group, Raw Breed, which it didn't come out at the time. It was this album, Raw Instinct. The second one, I believe, if I'm not getting the order wrong, was PMD's album, Business is Business. And then the third one was Wrath of the Math. Hmm. And with Wrath, Wrath of the Math, again, like, Danny's like, you know, he, just, he does everything. So he's a photographer. He had a, a business called Cartel Multimedia, which would, you know, he would shoot and then he would offer design services. So whenever he had a shoot, I was one of his photo assistants. I didn't know. I just did what he told me to do. I don't know. Like, he's like, yo, put this light over there, stand here, do that, do this, bring this stuff. I would help set up. So I would be on shoot, on set with all of these shoots. And I would kind of play the background. Like, I wasn't really a part of, you know, 
I think until up until the point where I designed the album package and started going through that process, J uh, J Rude probably just thought I was his photo assistant. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I'm just around as things are happening. But when we shot it, you know, Denny's office was in his apartment. You know what I mean? So there was like in some of the, the album cover, like with that smoke machine and that blue background, that's in like the hallway of Dan, Danny's apartment, so right, <laughs> right, right by the entrance. He painted the wall blue, he got the smoke machine. Mm. And before J. Rue got there, he's like, yo, stand right there, hold this thing like this. So the same position J. Rue's in, I have Polaroids and myself there when we're testing the light, you know what I mean? Wow. So um, it was just kind of great to watch it all come together. And when we got to the design stage, you know, I would do stuff. I would show it to Danny. He had a lot of confidence in me and faith, but he also had some vision where he would just be like, yo, like, I like this one better than that one. I like this, I like that, or whatever. But he gave me a lot of latitude and we got to a place where he liked it. I liked it. We were satisfied. We presented it to j Ru and j Ru liked it. And that's what it was. Because he, he had a solid relationship with them through, with the whole Gangstar Foundation because he shot, you know, he... He was just involved in a lot of the work they were producing at that time. And through his relationship with Guru and Premier, like there, there was a lot of trust there. They gave him trust and he gave me that trust. So it was an incredible process. And it just, you know, I remember vividly, like when that album came out, like I was just like, oh, you, couldn't, you couldn't tell me nothing. Like I was a <laughs> part of something. That album was important to me. Yeah. Um, and, and it was the one where I could kind of, I remember going home and showing people like, yo, I did this. And I was still in school at the time too. So it was like, you know, I'm going to school to be able to do this and I'm kind of at school. And I remember telling a good friend of mine, his name's Kareem Black, he's an extremely talented photographer and we went to school together. And he was like, wait, like you did that? Like it kind of just blew his mind. Like, what do you, like you're here with us. How'd you, how are you doing that as well? And there were, there were other people at school who were doing that as well, like um, Matt Reed and Gerard Young from Doable Arts. Like, I went to school with them. And they would, you know, it's like I see them here, but then I go to the record store and they got like this organized confusion album cover in there or, or whatever it was. So it just kind of put me in a space that felt really special and just confirmed what I wanted to do. I am in awe when I hear stories like that, especially because, you know, just hearing how you created this particular album and how Danny painted his apartment blue to just go along with the background like little things like that I mean he's famous for creating these sort of larger than life album covers so like hearing just the technique involved in that and 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 sort of like what went behind it it's just it, it's really cool for me you know and you all worked well together I actually I said this before on the show but I saw him speak at one of the contact high exhibitions and mm -hmm. he talked about that photo for Stress Magazine with Jay-Z. So hearing you now talk about like your working relationship with him and like how you all did that cover together, it just, it's it's really special. Yeah, I, I, got I wish I heard him tell, I, he has told me that story a little bit, but I would love to hear it because I wasn't there. Like by the time I became involved, the photo existed. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's, you know, sometimes I feel like Forrest Gump. I'm like, I've been in the, I've been just present for like some really special <laughs> things. And the beauty is though, I knew they were special things when I was standing right there. It's not like I look back later and like that was a special moment. Like I've been amped to be there all, all throughout the process. I want to ask about the work you did for Four Page Letter for Aaliyah. <laughs> you use, correct me if I'm wrong, but part of the design for this, you use, 
your own handwriting. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah. And so to me, that's a very personal, intimate touch. So it made me wonder, you know, when you're working on a particular body of work and designing it, if an artist had a profound impact on you and their music had a profound impact you, does that determine and influence the artistic direction that you take? Sure. That one, to me, that just made sense. I'm like, it's a four page letter. Like, it's not right. typed in double space. Like, I'm like, I can't ask her to write this. And I don't know what her handwriting looks like. So right. I'm just going to write it. You know what I mean? Like, it seemed to make, a, it just seemed, that was like a gimme. It was like a layup sure. to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm like, four page letter. What are we going to do? All right, I'm going to write this. I had to write it a thousand times to get that one. You know, like I had to write it a few times. And that was something I picked up from the drawing board. Like when I was interning at Def Jam, Say Adams, who was the person who brought me over there and led that team, I would watch him use his handwriting on things. And I thought he would just write it one time. But something it's like a piece of this one, a piece of that one. And he, like the Mary J. Blige lettering from her first album was the mm -hmm. 411. Like that's his handwriting. Blue mm -hmm. Funk, Heavy D, that's his handwriting. And I would see stuff around the office where it would be around the studio where it would be his handwriting. And I was like, well, I wouldn't do that. And mine was nowhere near as fly as his, but I was like, I know what I'm about to do here. So, you know, to me, it just seemed to make sense. But I will say that, yeah, if, if I like, listen, if I, I've worked with people who I'm not as connected to their music or their personalities, I can't phone it in because it's, it's my work. You know what I mean? So I always try and put forward my best, but there are things where you want to, if you have a connection to something or you, you, you want to put extra on it. And, and um, so that absolutely is a factor. But I, I try to approach all of my work by really thinking about it and, and doing a service to like how, how this can play out. And, you know, sometimes it's like, I don't want to do anything that seems, seems obvious. And sometimes I'm like, no, the obvious is the, <laughs> it's the right thing. It's just like, let's try and get the execution. But I'm impressed that you brought that one up. Clearly y'all have done y'all homework, but. We try. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> No idea is original, there's nothing new under the sun It's never what you do but how it's done What you base your happiness around Material women and large paper That means you inferior, not major No idea is original, there's nothing new under the sun It's never what you do but how it's done What you base your happiness around Material women and large paper That means you inferior, not major If niggas could look inside my mind, you're fine where bodies are buried first look past the hotties who dimes go to the center into it caution past the brain cell graveyard where we responsible for memory losses witness the horrific the stench will make you nauseous see what i've seen every day i live with this torture lighting spliffs up to stay high like 24 hours sleep with my heat wash with my gun in the shower my tongue is power it thrills women kills demons long as i'm still breathing i'm still winning i teach them i wanted to ask you about the lost tapes nas and the lost tapes that's actually an album that we've covered previously on, a, on our show, so shouts to Chris Maestro at Beerwax. I've heard you talk about working on Nostradamus and sort of how your vision for using this um, sort of iconic imagery that he had previously used to that point on his on his other albums, starting with Illmatic, was somewhat different than his, and it sounded like there was a negotiation that took place, and and Nas may have 
come out. Uh, I don't know that it was a negotiation. It was like, I like that one. But that's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> so, if, you were, if we would have called out a negotiation, then yes, there was a negotiation. Um, <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. But yeah, like, you know, Nostradamus, look, there was Illmatic, there was I Am, and then there was Nostradamus, right? So Illmatic, he's a child. I Am, he's a king. Nostradamus, I'm like, well, now you're just going, we're going back to a man. Right. Like, it just going from, like, that King Tut imagery, which Danny Hastings shot and got that bus built and all of that and Ola Kudu designed. Um, I'm like, that's a pretty big, those are big footsteps yeah. to follow yeah. right now, right? And I'm like, so now here we are, it's Nostradamus. We're going to do something that feels kind of like a monk. And, you know, we had an idea, but... I felt like, well, look, if we're going to, and it was still important to him, I think he saw those, at, you know, it's, it's a series. So that same Danny Clinch photo of Queensbridge houses, that was a given that was going to be in there. We were not moving from that. But I was like, well, let's, let's try a profile as opposed to doing a straight on headshot. And let's try and break it out of that format. Let's try and treat it a little bit different. And I showed it to him, and ultimately he decided he wanted it to look the way that the cover looked. We did a poster of the profile, excuse me, that I that I preferred. So that's a small victory, but but you know, at the end of the day, look, man, it's my work, but it's my work in service of what he's trying to do. So I'm not sure. mad at it, but I still, you know, if I could choose, I choose the other one. It's better, yeah. in my opinion. Right. But he was happy. But when I look at the three of them, I'm like, oh, like <laughs> the chart is like the, the, the needle is going up and we get to that one and it kind of drops down. And I think it has more to do with, you know, just the cover and the design of it. Um, Kwaku Austin, who shot it, did incredible work. We, we got some strong images that we created out of it, but, you know, I tried. <laughs> so when it came to uh, the Lost Tapes, yeah. Did you have that kind of access to Nas? Was he that involved in choosing what the design looked like? I don't remember. I don't know. Because what happened in the same way that I said that I inherited the Ghostface album, Bulletproof Wallets, um, a designer named Chris Feldman inherited the Lost Tapes. So the one that came out, it has a lot of elements that I put forward and it's rooted in what I did, but he finished it up. Okay. And because of the nature of the Lost Tapes, Nas was, I'll tell I know this, Nas was just not as involved in that. And not that the label was making decisions, I, I just think the nature of that, it was like album, it was stuff that got released by bootleg stuff. It was kind of like, it was an opportunity to like, just do your thing. Yeah. And, and he liked what we did. And I, I had so much fun doing that project because what I did, Kareem Black, who I mentioned, who I went to school with, I called him, I'm like, Kareem, we're doing this Nas album. This is what I want to do. I want to get a box. Like, I want to get a box and I want it to look like it's buried in a stash. Like, you're digging something up that was like somebody, almost like a time capsule. So I was like, yo, we're going to go. I want to do it right by, I want to do it in Long Island City in the park where you can see the background right outside of Queensbridge Project. I went and got this box from, I don't even know where it was, some vintage store. There's a passport you can see in there. That's my passport. There's money in there. That's whatever money I had. There's gold fronts in that box. You can't even really see them. We went to the Coliseum when we were shooting. We went to Queens, went to the Coliseum. I bought gold fronts. 
threw them in the box. You know what I mean? There's a microphone. It was just one I happened to have in my house for some random reason. I don't know why I had a microphone. But so we went and shot this. And to me, because it represent boot, represented bootleg records, one of the things that fascinated me at the time when you go down Canal Street and you see a bootlegger out and they have an album cover, they would copy the cover and it would have a sticker built into it. Like it would be part of the photocopy. So I treated the type on it like it was a photo, like a photocopied album cover that has the sticker kind of built into the artwork. And again, with my handwriting, I wrote lost tapes and I designed all of that. And when Chris Feldman got it, he added some color to it. Some like I had kind of this blue treatment, but he added like some purples and different hues, but he kept my handwriting. He had me write some other things. So it got handed off. So I did it and I feel like the cover was approved. But when Chris got it, he, you know, his way of kind of having ownership was it of it was he modified it a little bit. And I still it's a strong it's a strong piece. But the entire part that I was involved, I got to do my thing. And between between Nostradamus and the lost tapes. Nas and I had a little bit of a rapport because I worked on QB's finest with him. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, he had the big QB chain at that time. And I wanted to shoot that for the QB's finest project. And I'm like, yo, I reached out to him. I'm like, yo, I want to shoot your chain. And he sent it up to Sony with somebody. And they just like, yo, they gave me the chain. They're like, yo, I'll meet you back here at whatever time. So there was trust, clearly. And, and at some point during that as well, like Nas and I had the opportunity to just kind of sit down and have lunch together one day. Like he called me at the office and he was, he was at Burger Heaven around the corner and we went and just had like talked and chopped it up. So I felt like, you know, we were better equipped to produce it and that end result at that point than we were um, when I first started and he didn't, you know, he didn't really know what I was capable of. And I was just kind of a label dude to him at that point, I think. Yeah. I'm struck by that story about you throwing stuff in the box and actually going out and taking a photo of the. I'm wondering if that was done today, would you still go out and like in the field and take a photo of that? Or yeah. is that, yeah? Why not? You know what I mean? Like that's better to me than trying to do it. Did you? Look. If you're like, look, I want to be on a spaceship and I'm like floating in the sky, like I can't do that. Right. So we should do it this other way. To me, that takes far less effort and energy and it's real and it's, it's easily accessible. Like, why not? Hmm. You know, people can do that stuff because it's just like, well, I can get all those things on my computer. But I'm really struck by, you know, also, if you think about timing as well, like this is also the time when pen and pixel is happening. All those Master P covers and everything is just yeah. like, yo, like I look at those and they're funny now. They're like, they're amazing. Now at the time I was like, yo, this is like the worst thing ever. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it didn't even occur to me to not do it for real because why wouldn't you? Yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> so, and, and today I would have the same thought, like why not? The only thing that might be different is Maybe I don't go dig a hole in the park outside of Queensbridge. <laughs> like, in the, like over there, I might go to the park around the corner. Right. Maybe. But, you know, but yeah, I, I would absolutely approach it that way because I just feel like authenticity is really important in my work. Mm-hmm. I think is why it feels the way that it does. So for me to choose a digital solution probably means that a real scenario was just not achievable. 
isn't that isn't that that's never my go-to yeah makes sense i have a i have a question about another album mop 10 years and gunning so you worked with carrie de bruce on this um she's been yeah. involved with a lot of great album covers as well and she's was the um responsible for the graphics of this um and you were responsible for artistic direction so i'm just sort of wondering how that relationship translates when i'm looking at this album cover so could you maybe talk about how you and carrie worked together to put this album cover together yeah so i knew carrie's work and i worked with dave bett who used to be the creative director at loud records and he has a great relationship with carrie and he put us in contact because i was like i want somebody to do this metallic type and i designed the logo that type that's on there and she was who gave it that metallic flavor. Like she made it look chrome. I'm trying to remember what it looks like. I think there's some blue in it. It's like a gray mm -hmm. backdrop, like a gray metal. So, so she did the type. I created the logo, and I was like, I need, I want it to have this effect. And and she did that, and she hooked it up. And I, she probably gave me a few versions of it, and that one was the one that we ended up going with. And the illustration. Is it, is it an illustrated cover or a photographic cover? I, I got to look it up. Because we it's went a, through... Ah, it's what a is photo it? of we, them. Okay, so there was an illustration done as well, which was done by um, Spacing on his last name. His name is Tyler from Heavyweight. And it was a dope illustration, but in the end, that we ended up going with a photo for the cover. And um, and there's I remember now a little bit of the, the color treatment on it. But... Um, the design inside I did, I designed the package, but Carrie hooked up that typography and it was great to work with her. She was really cool. And it, again, like that's that sort of, I could have tried to figure out how to do that, but she did it and she did it well. I'm like, mm. do you want to do this? She wanted to do it. So there we go. <laughs> I can't remember when they started using that famous bold print MOP lettering. Do you know who's responsible yeah. for the start of that? Was it Carrie? No, it was Patrick Akinte who worked okay. at Loud under David Bett. I'm going to, that's what I believe. I wasn't there, you know what I mean? But I yeah. remember that type kind of, come, like Firing Squad had like a, a um, like a shattered O. And then yep. it was the next album after that, which I'm spacing, because it had, uh, had Anti-Up on it, had Blood, Sweat, Tears. I, I'm spacing on the name of that. First Family for Life. Maybe, but that's where that I first saw that type treatment come into play. So, yeah, I believe Patrick, <clears throat> excuse me, Patrick Akinte did that version of the logo, and they stuck with it for a while. I don't even know that I have a question about this. I, I just kind of like when we were preparing for this, and I was, you know, reading about some of the stuff you've worked on, learning about the cover image for Wu Tang's Iron Flag and Cappadonna being airbrushed out kind of blew my mind and just wanted to say that. I, I, I was, <laughs> it was so interesting to me to learn that. I think I must have gotten that from your Instagram account. But that's like the little tidbit that I love learning about these kind of things, the behind-the-scenes stuff. I mean, was that like weird for you in any way to have to be a part of that or just business as usual sort of? Yeah, I mean, it, it, that wasn't weird for me because – this is another inherited project. Okay. Dave Bett was the art director on that. And for whatever reason, now I have it. So I didn't art direct the shoot. I wasn't on set. I didn't have to tell Capadonna, you're not on the cover anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, 
So for me, it was just like, they're like, take them out. I'm like, you sure? They're like, yeah. So he's out of there. So it was was pretty simple. I didn't have any um, emotional connection or obligation. I don't know who told him. I wouldn't want to be that person. But but for me, it was just like, look, we got to go. All right, cool. He's gone. Um, but, But it was interesting to me to see how the politics of that work. This is not something you asked me about yet. Maybe it would have been, but along those lines, something that was more um, interesting was when I did the second G-Unit album uh, for Terminate On Site, TOS, Mm. because Buck was on the album, but he's not at the photo shoot because he was out of the group by that point. So Mm. we had to address that in the cover. And I, you know, of all of the members of G-Unit at that time, like Buck is the one I know the least had the least personal interactions with but i'm just like yo like this is this is weird like it's awkward you know what i mean because i'm like i'm watching people go through something and we're addressing it visually right and so that one was more of a um i think we handled it well i think there was a smart solution but it was very like intentional and and conceptual and how you know i I presented a lot of ideas on how we were going to do it. And the thing is, we have three, there's four people on the cover. Three of them are on one side of a car and they're looking in one direction. There's the fourth person on the other side of the car walking in a different direction with a a hoodie on. So it's showing just kind of this, you know, they're they're literally moving in different directions. And that person is, you know, because they have the hoodie, you can't see their face, you can't see who it is, but it's very... The sim- symbolism is strong, right. so I felt like it spoke honestly about the situation. Without, um, it didn't make a statement about him. It made a statement about what was going on. Mm-hmm. So interesting. What's your name for? Capital P, Bandana P, VIP, MVP, RSVP, or RIP, VSOP, ASAP. PCP, PGPC with the hoes. First, they gotta come bless me. I'm heaven's gift, heavy on the wrist, heavy on the waist. Memorize what I say so. When this shit goes down, you won't be surprised how this shit turns out. I'm a gangster, you try my hand and get cut in half by the rap for the AK gun. I'm a menace, a millionaire rich and I'm ruthless. You got plans of getting that P? Don't do it, I'm a terror. White people call me black hearted nigga. My baby mom left me, cause she couldn't put up with my foul attitude. I'm so fucked up and I love it. It got me to where I'm at, done. If I had it to do over, I wouldn't change a thing. I would still shoot at world and his mom. For that chain, I would still get cut and would still catch a fade by the older dubs around the way. What? I would still get cut and would still catch a fade by the older dubs around the way. The other thing I wanted to ask you about was Mob Deep and Blood Money. And I'm mostly just curious about what it was like to work with Prodigy. Yeah, so Prodigy is like a hero of mine. You know what I mean? Like he just, his art is something that has moved me. I'm not going to say from the very beginning, like, you know, juvenile hell was cool, but like, (laughs) but from the infamous, like, I'm like, yo, like this dude is special, you know? So when I got an opportunity to work with him, work with them, but you know, when, when I had an opportunity to work with them, I was super excited to just to be able to meet him and have conversations. And he was very, hand like very involved with the visual. So when I would want to have conversations, they're like, talk to Pete. You know what I mean? So I remember 
Chris Lighty told me, he was like, look, they have a studio, there's a studio session, be at this studio at this time. And it was somewhere like way out in like near Kennedy Airport. I don't know if it was Queens or Brooklyn. I just know it was like way out off of Atlantic Avenue on like a black back block somewhere. And Prodigy was so late to that meeting, but because I'm like, yo, it's Prodigy. Like I didn't leave. You know what I mean? Like he might've been like three hours late. I just sat in the car and just was like, yo, like he gets here when he gets here. You know what I mean? And he got there and we sat and talked and I have like a, you know, he's just like, yo, I'm kind of feeling like this. And I have a, something in my sketchbook that he drew. He was like, yo, it should be, you know, this is kind of what it is. And it's not a great drawing, but I'm like, yo, like just his ability, he had a vision for it. You yeah. know what I mean? And it doesn't have to be a great drawing. A lot of mine aren't. It was a sketch to show an idea. It wasn't right. a drawing. You know what I mean? Let right. me just say that. It's a sketch. And just to be able to have that time with him was really cool just to see how he thought. And, I, and, and also that the trust that he gave me to evolve build on the idea that he gave because what he told me is just different. It was the seed for what we ultimately ended up doing. And I remember too, like we got all of this prop money in the room and just all of this stuff. And there's a point when we're on set, the money's like overflowing everywhere. And I just randomly was like, if this was real, like how much money do you think that would be? And he looked at it and he was like, $2 million. Like he just said it like, <laughs> like it was a fact. Like, like he knew it. Yeah. I've been here before. You know what I mean? Like I know what that is. That looks like $2 million. And I was like, cool. You say so. $2 million. I have no idea. Right. You know I mean? so, so that's one of the things that stands out, but it was an honor to be able to work with them and with him specifically. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I didn't mean to not mention havoc of course but you know i know no, no, no. P, I mean, listen, P, p's not here and we can get stories exactly. about him you know i want to hear him yeah i think that's all the albums we had right all the stories i think you're right so it must mean it's time to talk about <laughs> get rich or die trying <laughs> So every episode uh, that we do, we ask our guests to choose an album uh, that they're a fan of, that um, has been influential, had an impact, uh, significant in some way to them. And so tonight we're going to talk about 50 Cent, Get Rich or Die Trying. Huge album. Just a massive hit for him. I have to imagine a, a significant project for you to be working on as well. Can you talk a little bit about 
your relationship with him and how that started and, and how you ended up working on this project? Yeah. So 50 and I have had a very long standing relationship. I met 50 in late 98, maybe, or early 99. And when I was working at Sony, which includes Columbia Records, I got assigned to his project. I was going to be his art director for Power of the Dollar, which is his first album, which never came out. So one day I'm in the elevator, another elevator story. <laughs> and as he gets in the elevator, he has a Trackmaster's leather jacket on and it says 50 Cent on there. So I'm like, yo, are you 50 Cent? <laughs> and he's like, yeah. So we just, I was like, I'm your art director. And I introduced myself to him in the elevator. It's just me and him in there. You know what I mean? So we're just talking and like chit-chatting. And, and that was it, you know? But then, you know, we started to, as things move forward, he, of all the artists that I've worked with, he's been the most active and participating in the creative, the visual creative process. Hmm. And we just liked each other. He would hang out in my, he was in my office all the time. Like he would just come and he might come to check on his artwork, like what's going on. Cause he wants to learn everything. He's like, like absorbs information. Hmm. And something that I could say, the space that he occupies right now, he's always seen himself occupying this space. So he's like, I want to learn this. I want to understand this. So he would come and check on like how the artwork's going. Like even when I was just working on his logo and we were cool. So he'd be in my office all the time. You know what I mean? Like we start talking about him and then he's like, yo, what you listening to? What you doing? What's, mm. what's this or what's that? Or, you know, years later, he told me something that just stuck with me. And, and he was just like, yo, the reason we're friends, he was like, yo, when I used to just be in your office talking shit, and you're working on Nas stuff, you could have been like, yo, get out of here. But you would tell me what you were doing and talk to me and explain stuff and answer any question he had or just share stuff, ask him what he thought about stuff. So we had this really good rapport and he was always just down for, to try different things. So the fact that, you know, we did our first test shoot for his album package with um, my friend Kareem Black, who I've mentioned already, Kareem shot that. And... I've been able to watch 50 grow and listen to his music and understand again, like I just kind of understand where he's coming from. Mm. So he doesn't have to say a whole lot to me. He doesn't have to be like, this is, he'll tell me what he's thinking, but I also just understand the music and the aesthetic. So by the time, and, and we worked on, you know, there were singles that we worked on where he would just be like, yo, like I really like this. And, and it built a certain level of trust. After he got shot and he got dropped from the label, we stayed in touch to a degree. Like, you know, like by this point, I would have his, you know, I had his number. I would, you know, at, at varying points along this path, we would just kind of check in and it wasn't only limited to what would happen in the office. And not a lot, you know what I mean? But just, you know, we had a rapport. I'll just say that. Mm -hmm. And so when he started putting out the mixtapes, this dude who I worked with, named Mike Gordon, I mentioned something about 50. I asked him something about 50. And he was like, he gave me Shaw Money's number. Or actually, no, I take it back. 50, I saw him after he got dropped from the label. And he told me at a point, he was like, wherever I go, wherever I end up, I want you to do the artwork. And then we kind of lost track after this point. Like a lot changed after he got shot. You know, so Mike Gordon put me back in contact with Shaw money who later was the president of g unit and i called shy one day and i left a message i didn't get him 
but they called me he called me back and he was like yo 50 told me all about you he wants to like let's get going mm. you know and and that's how i got back in position for that situation now i remember one time you know so right after that first g-unit mixtape and when he was going through things to he was just labels were chasing him i remember him coming to my office one day after a meeting where I don't know what he got, how much money they offered him, but he was excited. Him, Yayo and Banks show up in my office and it's the first time I saw him and he had lost a lot of weight, but he was cut up now. Like mm. he was, big. he comes in my office and he lifts up his shirt. He's like, yo, they put Humpty Dumpty back together again. <laughs> like, he's like, you know, we about to do this. Like, let's go. And, and that was it. And, and 50 has been, you know, he occupies a certain place in my life because he helped me to change a lot for myself because of his faith in me and being able to and sticking to what he said and you know it's created huge opportunities for me get rich or die trying is the first package that has a slang ink credit in there mm. in it that's officially kind of the beginning of my business and you know one thing that was really interesting about it is i'm doing that at sony records the same label that dropped him and i know they're all going to see this so my name, my actual name was in the thank yous and I took it out because I was like, this is going to be, it's not, it's not a good look for my employment right now. <laughs> so I took it out, but it's great because I know it was there and I know how much he appreciates it. And, and it has changed my life and I'm, I'm forever grateful for it. Like Rob said, this was, I mean, this album was huge. Yeah, I don't know how old you are, Julian, but for me, I mean, this was in heavy rotation in college. I, I can't tell you how many parties I went to over the years. Like, there was always a song from this album playing at somebody's house party. Always. I mean, it was just... Really quickly? Yeah. I'm going to say I appreciate that you were in college because many people I meet, they're like... I was in third grade. <laughs> 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 I, I ain't that young. <laughs> so, thank yeah. you. Thank you for that. No, no, no. I'm not that like, young. My father used to play this when he picked me up uh, on no. the school bus. Like, no. Yo. We we were old enough to be in the club when yeah. this came out. People were people are saying that to me now. Yeah. So yeah, no, I, I understand, but yeah, it was just so, it was just larger than life. And I sort of wonder for you, 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 you've already sort of said it, that this album changed your life. But I wondered sort of like on an official scale, you know, after this album was released and, and people started seeing, you know, your name associated with the work, did that put sort of a focus on you? More, more of a focus that was already, you know, than it previously existed? Yes. Not me personally, like, People were looking for Slang Inc. That's the album. Got That's it. the package. That's the name in the album right. package. So it was the best marketing that I could possibly have. That album doesn't look like any other album. And it's wildly successful in terms of how it sold. So people are like, I want that person. Right. You know what I mean? Like whoever did that, that's who, you know, it, it opened a lot of doors. But what happened was, you know, I stuck with the team. So I became, you know, whatever was happening. That project is a product of the, you know, it's G Unit. That's what we associate it with. But that's Eminem and Dr. Dre's labels, and they have a lot of projects. And all of that work came to me. Hmm. So all of the stuff that was going through Interscope that even remotely touched hip hop at that time was, it was it. And I got to a point where I was like, either I'm going to keep this job or I'm going to leave, like, and I'm out. You know what I mean? Like it was that was the catalyst for me to be able to 
kind of lean into what I wanted to do and, and maximize that opportunity. Also, I'll say that album came out in 2003. In 2003, I also designed a Miles Davis box set that won a Grammy for art direction. So like now, 2004, my phone's ringing off the hook with design opportunities. And I'm like, I just won this Grammy, which is cool. Like I'm, you know, it, it, it put me in a position where I'm like, what else could the job offer me? So it's like, I'm at a point where like, if ever there's a point where I could just step out and be on my own, this is it. Yeah. And and because of the because of that project, I had security and that my phone was ringing and people mm. were looking for me and there were opportunities. Mm. So that's, that's how it kind of helped set me up to lean into the entrepreneurial spirit that I had and build something um, and, and just kind of take that opportunity and go further. The design for this, for uh, Get Rich or Die Trying, I think, I'm going to try to find a way to articulate this. I think it's a design that might easily be taken for granted if you don't really catch all the detail or know some of the story behind the album or some of 50's story. You know, you've got the the bullet hole in the glass. Um, this is 50 coming back, exercising his resilience after being shot. Just tonight, actually, before you logged on, he's got this, she's got the album cover in the background. And I noticed for the first time that on his, on the like strap on his shoulders, it says 50, like on the design and the strap. And it's these, just these little details that I think makes such a big difference. But at the same time, it's not like complicated. You know, it's pretty, there's a lot of space, um, which is something I appreciate about your work. But on this project in particular, it stands out. Does that come from like a specific design philosophy or is it just a matter of your like personal vision, how you see things? Yeah, it's just how I see things. That just felt right to me. Well, let me back up. My general aesthetic is what feels right to me. People tell me they can look at my work and see my style. I can't see it mm. at all. Like, it's not like a deliberate thing. It's just kind of how I, it's just what I, where I arrive on things and how I approach it. Um, but like the, the 50s on the holster, he had a Gucci holster on in the legal department. It was like, no, <laughs> like, look, that's, that's not going to work. So we were like, okay, well, if it's not going to be, if it's not going to be G's, what can it be? Yeah. In the 50s. You know what I mean? So we hired a retoucher to handle that. But so that wasn't a matter of, we weren't looking at it like, you know what would be good? If we just make a 50 holster, that was literally like mm. a legal thing. But it still reads right. as Gucci. Because if you're not in on it, you get that pattern. But yeah, like I, I feel like it's just what the image called for. Like this is really about, the image says everything. And we had the logo already. So I'm like, you know, where am I going to put the type? And this is what felt right to me and what type of font. If this, this image was what's the right thing to complement or contrast what's going on. And I think that's kind of how I look at things. It's like, where can I create tension? What's the push and pull? How do you make this, how do you make this part come forward and make this other thing receive? Mm. What's important? Hierarchy is very important. That's like a common thread in my work is finding hierarchy. Like, are things supposed to compete or are you trying to establish, like, where do I want yeah. you to look? What's most important mm. here? I listened to your TED talk about authenticity in design and I, I hear elements of that and what you just said, like just being authentic to, you know, the artist and the story and finding a way to bring that out in the design. Thank you. 
What's your relationship with Get Rich or Die trying as a listener? Oh, man. So I love it. Part of the process of this album, when we were getting ready to talk about the artwork, I went to 50's grandmother's house. I met with him. We sat in the living room and he played me the album. It was me, him, and a couple other people in the room. And it's just really vivid and it's true to, I just feel it. Like I feel every single word mm. he says on that song, on that album. The only song that I was like, eh, was P-I-M-P. And I was like, eh. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I was wrong, you know what I mean? It's not even whether it's good or bad. It just, it stands out in relation to other stuff. Like even 21 Questions, that sounds more like a radio record or whatever, but you know, like clearly it fit. You know what I mean? That song was hugely successful, but look, when I was, the, the entire time that I worked with 50, like I love hip hop, period. I love music, but I love hip hop. And there's a lot of times where you hear, hear people just say things. And you're like, yo, that sounds good. You listen to 50, he's like, yo, if, I'm a, if he tells you on a record, like, I, I'm going to punch you in the face, I'm like, he's going to punch <laughs> you in the face. You know what I mean? Like, whatever he says, he does, like, there's conviction yeah. behind it. And I feel like it's mm -hmm. it's true to who he is. And, like, I could feel his love in that album. I could feel his pain. I could feel his hope. I could feel, like, from the title, Get Rich or Die Trying. That means I'm putting it all out on the line. And everything on there sounds like that. The other day, I just happened to be... I don't know what happened. Maybe it was pop smoke. Like I heard for some reason, I just heard mm. many men and I was listening to the hook of it. And like, that's not like regular words that anybody's capable, capable of putting together. You know what I mean? Like it just, you, he says it and you, you feel certain things. So like everybody else, I just felt the music and it made me proud to be able to be a part of that project. Mm. And, and also because I had known him because I knew him, know him with a, you know, I want to say it in past tense in the present because I know him and I had seen what it had taken for him to get there. Like, yeah, who was more deserving? You know what I mean? So I just felt like, um, I was just happy for his success and what he did. Like it's rare. Like what happened with that project is not normal and it, it won't happen in yeah. that way again for anyone. You know what I mean? So, so, and, and I think it was all hmm. deserved. It sounds like, you know, just speaks to the rapport that you were talking about that you have with 50, just, you know, that he really trusted you and valued your opinion. I mean, he's inviting over to his grandmother's house to listen to the album. So I, I think that's probably felt just to, for you that I imagine that's surreal just to sort of listen to it there and then see the commercial success that, you know, it gained um, whenever it was released, especially after yeah. hearing like the tragedies that he suffered. Yeah. And I mean, look, that album... I remember vividly the day that it came out, I was at my, I happened to be in Connecticut at my mother's house. And, you know, like my friends were calling me like, yo, you got that, can you, can I get the album? Cause I'm like, what do you mean? Like go to the store, they're like, yo, it shit sold out. I'm like, it just came out today. It's like still daytime, it's like two in the afternoon. They're like, yo, it sold out. I went to mm. four stores, I'm like, what? Like, what are you talking about? And the, the, like, when I talked to my friends at the label, they shipped 800,000 copies of that album because it's the first album. That's what right. they projected. He sold 800,000 the first week. He sold 400,000 mm. the first day that album came out. So it was like, it was sold out everywhere on day one. And it was just this thing that, you know, I just felt really happy for him. And the thing is like, look, as I said, the label, they couldn't predict what the outcome was going to be, but you knew it was something because of the mixtapes and what he did. It just mm. it felt different. So 
so again, like, yeah, it's, it's the hardships, it's the struggle, it's how hard I saw him work, how I saw him approach things differently and, and succeed with it. So, yeah, but to answer your question, I, I was into the music. It was incredible. If there's one song that you come back to on this album, what would you say it is? I'm gonna say Mini Man. Mini Man, wish death upon me. Blood in my dog, and I can't see. I'm trying to be what I'm destined to be. And niggas trying to take my life away. I put a hole in a nigga for fucking with me. My back on the wall, now you gon' see. Better watch how you talk when you talk about me. Cause I'll come and take your life away. Mini Man. Many, 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 many men Wish death on me, Lord I don't cry no more Don't look to the sky no more Have mercy on me Pussy niggas put money on my head Gone, get your refund, motherfucker I ain't dead I'm the diamond in the dirt That ain't been found I'm the underground king And I ain't been crowned When I rhyme Something special happen every time I'm the greatest Something like Ali in this prime I walk the block with the bundles I've been knocked on the humble Swing the ox when I rumble Show your ass with my gun do. That album to me It's an album Like when I put that on I'm mm. listening to the whole thing You know what I mean? So I don't even like pick songs I had certain moments Like 21 Questions A very good friend of mine Is one of the producers of that song And like around the time he made that record we were living together, you know what I mean? So it was special to me in a certain way. You know, my friend Bruce Wayne from Midi Mafia, they, they produced 21 Questions. So it's just like, you know, there are different songs that mean certain reasons. Or like even when he played the song, like when 50 played 21 Questions for me, it's like, I love you like a fat kid loves you. And I laughed and he was like, everybody laughs at that part. He's like, it's no good for him. Like, it's just like, <laughs> it's just like to him it wasn't a joke. He's like, it's no good. Like, he loves it, but it's bad for him. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, that's funny. <laughs> but, um, you know, so I, I think of these stories, so they all kind of represent different things to me, but I, I look at it as just a body of work. And I think also, you know, look, I have a relationship with it that really represents right. the whole thing. So I, I look, I tend to not pick favorites on that one. But mm -hmm. but if I had to choose, I'm going to, today, the answer mm -hmm. is many I could see why it would be hard to choose, for sure. I didn't, I knew you had a relationship with 50, but I didn't know it ran that deep. And, you know, so it's, it's cool to have you on and to hear you talk about that. Absolutely. Thank you both for having me. I'm also aware that there's a lot we didn't talk about. I'm glad you mentioned the Miles Davis uh, Grammy Award winning design because we didn't get a chance to talk about that. So many other album packages, uh, work that you've done outside of music, but I'm certainly grateful to have this time to hear from you about some of the work that you've done and hear some of your stories. So we are grateful. Can we just give a shout out to Michelle Williams again, who put us in touch with you. She has just been a tremendous friend to us and, and supportive of what we do, but also just in connecting us with the people that provide us with these amazing stories. And we're glad to have you on yes. that roster. Um, this has yes. been an incredible conversation. Michelle is a wonderful human being. So yes, big up to Michelle. E and I are sort of routinely like, oh, she's so nice, man. It's incredible. Like, <laughs> and there aren't yeah, any it's nice just people. It's so rare, left. you know. <laughs> you meet somebody, and we haven't met her in person. We've only like, talked to her through text and email, and obviously we had her on the show. But uh, she's just a very kind person. We're very grateful. She's rare. Yeah, for sure. 
Well, Julian, thanks again. Is there anything that you want folks to know about Slang Inc., the work that you're doing now, what people should be looking for? Yeah, right now, I'm really, you know, I'm, I'm staying active and busy. I'm really dedicated to building up the Supremacy Project. I think that's important work, and we're finding other ways to expand on that. And, you know, if you are interested in seeing, you know, just kind of the body of work or following what we're doing, check us out on Instagram at Slang Inc. And that can lead to, it leads you to the website, different places. But I think that's kind of a good point of entry, kind of see uh, what we've been up to. Great. All right, folks, this has been The Next Movement. Thank you for listening. New York City. New York City. You are now rapping. You are now rapping. With 50 Cent. With 50 Cent. You got to love it. You got to love it. I just want to chill and twist the lot. Catch stunts in my 745 You drive me crazy, shorty I need to see you and feel you next to me I provide everything you need And I like your smile I don't want to see you cry Got some questions that I gotta ask And I hope you can come up with the answers, baby Girl, it's easy to love me now Would you love me if I was down and out? Would you still have love for me, girl? It's easy to love me now Would you love me if I was down and out? Would you still have love for me? If I fell off tomorrow, would you still love me? If I didn't smell so good, would you still hug me? If I got locked up and sent this to a quarter century Could I count on you to be there to support me mentally?